It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schellenberg, and with me is Rachel Oyster. Hello, Rachel. Hi, David. The co-chairs for Democrats Abroad, Canada's capital region here in Ottawa. Rachel, who is with us today? Today, we have Tyra J. Garrett, who, uh, a young woman from Virginia, who wrote or published a piece in the Toronto Star this week that just caught caught my eye, caught a lot of people's eyes. And when I read you the title or the headline, you yeah. will see why. Tyra's article was called, if, Do- if Donald Trump wins, I'm asking you, Canada, save my life. Oh my. An African-American on unbelonging in her home. And I just wanted to, I wanted to talk to her. So Tyra, welcome and hello. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. We are really excited to be able to talk to you. So Tell us what brought you to write your piece. Um, it was actually a, it was actually a really um, fortuitous opportunity. Shout out to Evelyn Kwong of the Toronto Star, who actually saw me reply to a um, tweet that uh, for a previous Star article, and she favorited it, and you know reached out to me and asked me would I be interested in writing the article. And you know I do some writing on the side, you know, um, so I was super 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 grateful, super interested. And, you know, a week later, the article was published. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a blistering piece. I, in reading it, I've read it three times now. (laughs) And (laughs) each time I think, oh, that's my favorite line. That's the line we have to read. And then I think, oh, that's my favorite one. That's the one. I mean, it's, it's an, it's an incredible piece. So do you, for those who haven't, we will link to the article Mm -hmm. uh, when we post the podcast, but for those who haven't read it yet, do you want to just tell us the basic um, idea? Um, so basically it was just, and I guess I could say it was an article, but it more, it felt more like an essay, um, a personal essay, just explaining how I will feel personally. And I think how hundreds of thousands, even millions of people will feel, um, if Donald Trump is elected to a second presidency, um, the climate of the country is frightening and, you know, we're taking it you know, one, one day at a time, but it, it does seem some weeks that each day, you know, the sun shines a little less brightly on everything that's, that's happening here. So it's just a lot. And, um, yeah, I just talked about different things and, you know, Canada has always been our neighbor to the North and me and my friends have always talked about since Donald Trump was elected, if America continued to decline that we didn't want to, become adults or grow into our adult selves living in a country that was just so divisive and so so really painful to be a part of and live within now you know that canada is not perfect either right yes i do know that um you know i i did have quite a few replies to um my article on twitter and you know a lot of people said that, but what they did say is that they would never stop trying to be better, to right. be perfect. And that's really what captured me. You know, I was talking to some of my colleagues and some of my peers, and it's just amazing um, the outpouring of support I received and just that that notion. We aren't perfect, but we won't stop trying to be not. There's nothing wrong with this and just deal with it. You know, it's not. It's not that type of situation. Well, that makes me think about even the history of the United States. Like Donald, Donald Trump did not create this problem. 
for sure. He did not. He just pressed, or I guess you could say he poured accelerant on sparks. Mm -hmm. There was things definitely happening. Um, But I think, you know, his rhetoric is just so it's so divisive and so demeaning at times. It's just amazing. And it really disheartens me to see how um, a number of his supporters latch onto that and then create ideologies and dogma about other people Mm -hmm. um, based on the things that he says. You know, it snowed in Ottawa yesterday, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Have you you ever seen snow? (laughs) She lives in Virginia. Yes, I I have seen seen snow. (laughs) We don't get as much as I would like. (laughs) Okay, just checking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to scare her with the cold. Okay, well, (laughs) for sure, no. No. Just just from what you were saying, um, because I've been in Canada through, well, actually through most of Obama's presidency as well as through Trump's. So I wasn't, I haven't been living in the U S to see things change from talking to people, say your parents or grandparents age. Do you feel that things are worse for, especially for black people now? Um, I think I would say that it's a spectrum of, atrocities or horribleness. It, it varies every single day. And I think that when, you know, my grandfather was growing up, his, his father was a sharecropper in North Carolina and all of his brothers and sisters worked on, you know, tobacco fields and things like that. And they experienced a level of racism that I will never experience in your face, blatant every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, now it, it is that way, but it's, Um, I mean, I would agree. It's definitely ticked down as far as like people aren't banging people's doors in and stealing people out of their beds, but the, the language, the feeling, the, you know, you could, you could see a Trump sign on the side of the road and it ruin your entire day because you Mm -hmm. really just never know what side of the spectrum does that person lie on? Are they a Republican who, is I would feel has lost their way and just wants to continue to see Republican ideals in the presidency or are they the type of supporter who is so entrenched in this, you know, in this rhetoric and this ideology there, those people seem highly dangerous to me, not just for the space and time that I'm living in now, but for my future. And that's definitely one thing that I talk about in the article is like, I'm going to be off my parents' insurance soon. I'm going to be 25, 30 soon. And I'm going to be, you know, hopefully getting married and having children. And it pains me and really terrifies me to think about my African-American children growing up in this country. I just I have no idea what that will look like. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredibly sobering. So maybe it's just these unleashed atrocities and, and the horribleness, as you said, side by side with, I mean, there's certainly opportunity as well that didn't exist for your grandparents. Oh, for for sure. Yes. No no doubt about that. Yeah. So maybe that contrast is all the more horrific for the fact that you can be a person who just lives a normal life, but at the same time, there's, yeah. I think also it, what really kind of like tears at me is the extreme contrast between the Obama presidency and um, the Trump presidency. You know, when horrible things happened, President Obama had a way of quelling the fears of people, of talking and soothing people and making them feel like even in this horrible time, like it'll be better. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 
President Trump doesn't respond the same way, in my opinion, to tragedies and, you know, national disasters and things of that nature. And, you know, I grew up with President Obama, so it's almost like a violent ripping of the wool from the eyes to live in, you know, Trump's America. Wow. Yeah, because we had seen the presidents before Obama and Obama was just such such a ray of light. Yes, and hope. And hope. And I completely agree with you about the contrast. I mean, it is, I've heard it said that one of the roles of the president is to be in times of difficulty, to be comforter in chief. And Obama carried that with such grace and Trump is absolutely the opposite. Yes. And to me, it seems that he doesn't, that part of the job, he was never willing to do it from the very beginning. It doesn't seem like he's, he's, you know, been at all interested in being that type of, you know, figurehead for this country. Yeah. There are so many people that go around calling this, you know, the most important election of our generation. And I tend to fight back on that because I think the most important election was four years ago when we Mm -hmm. had a chance to vote for Hillary Mm -hmm. Clinton. And so many people just didn't vote for Hillary because they looked through her history and found little nitpicky things about her history that they didn't like. So it's not that they didn't vote for Donald Trump. It's that they specifically sat home and didn't bother to vote when they could have voted. Do you think this is the most important election of your generation? Um, I think I would... I, I think I would have to say yes. I do agree with you. Four years ago, that election laid the foundation for the world that we're all looking at right now, not just America, everything that's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, you know, I was disappointed in my generation on the last um, election because a lot of people wrote in for frivolous things instead of actually voting those who did go out to the poll, you know, 15,000 people voted for this and 8,000 people voted for like, I think it was like Harambe and Hennessy. I mean, that was ridiculous to me and appalling. Mm -hmm. And now those, those decisions affected us, but now they're, they're really affecting us. So if people my age don't come together and do the right thing, um, I think this is the most important election, um, for people my age, because, like I said, this is us, you know, right out of the gate, fresh, adultier adults. And, you know, the world is going to be a much more difficult place to navigate mm-hmm. um, without, you know, that parental protection and supervision in in another four year of Trump, another four years of Trump's America. Because it is an interesting situation when your choices are the largely the, in the way the, the American system works, two choices. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's how it is. That's how it is for everything. And it's, neither one of them, always a binary and neither one of them are perfect choices. I agree. So how do you, how do you vote for the, the lesser of the two not perfect choices? I vote for the person who I know has more experience. I mean, honestly, I totally understand what you were saying going back to the Hillary situation. And my comment on that is I firmly believe you would be hard pressed to find a completely honest politician anywhere. And, um, Hillary did not get the benefit of the doubt because she was a woman. Um, and I, I plainly think that, you know, we think about all the stories about the Kennedys and things that they did and were still able to wield political power. Um, you know, and 
by far Hillary was much more um, qualified and experienced than Donald Trump. And, you know, those, the emails and all those things came out and she just wasn't given a chance beyond that. Um, so I agree, with, I agree with you. There was a lot of misogyny there. I mean, it was a historic election. We could have elected a woman. <laughs> yes, we could have. We, we, I think the same reason we end. I mean, it, I I was I voted actually for Hillary in the primary when she and Obama were running to be the nominee. Mm-hmm. And yes. I liked the look of Obama, but I didn't know anywhere near enough about him to feel comfortable that he was the right person. And Mm -hmm. I I had been waiting for a woman or a black person to run my whole life and they had to run against each other. (laughs) That was really frustrating, but I really felt that Obama prevailed because he was a man. And, you know, you very well may have been, you know, you very well would be right about that. I think that it was very ambitious for America to think that coming off the back of the Obama presidency, um, when there was so much, um, I guess, backlash towards having our first African-American president, I feel like having Hillary back to back, you know, black man than a woman was a lot for America. Yeah, um, but, right. yeah. yeah going back to what Dave was saying about, um, you know, Biden, I, I'm going with the person who has the most experience mm-hmm. and the person who in political situations, when they're faced with these things, or even, you know, when you're having a press conference and you're asked a question, you answer the question. Right. You don't deflect with an insult to the reporter that's speaking to you. I mean, this is the supposed to be quote unquote, the leader of the free world. And it's, it's hard. You know, I said something in the article about, I know you all have discussed the relative disaster America has become because it's not a, it's not a joke to say that America is like the laughing stock of the world at this point. And I, in American feel very comfortable saying that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah. and it's just, it's difficult to live with. Yeah. And as you know, we Democrats abroad has members all around the world and, and we yes. can back you up on that. We yes, are hearing. We can. <laughs> yes, we can. Yes. We can see the other countries laughing at us and laughing and being absolutely horrified by it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I put my faith and my trust in, in the politician, not the showboat. And I also feel comfortable saying that because I feel as though most of the things that President Trump says aren't um, directly reflective of his own beliefs. I think that he's saying a lot of these things to rile that that percentage or that population of people who want to hear these horrible things, Um, because, you know, before he was president he didn't care if you were black white blue purple if you had money he talked to you if he if you had money he wanted to be in your circle you know he wanted Mm -hmm. to make you know whatever business deals or you know and now it's just a complete flip of the script and you know i bottom line i i can't envision um four more years even another year Mm -hmm. and i don't want to which was the basis of my article and it's crazy i've i had one lady offer to sponsor me i'm like that is amazing crazy i I was gonna ask what response you got from canadians because a lot Um, of you know our friends and relatives in the u.s joke about it all the time you know can i live in your basement and of course you know we always say yes (laughs) if they all take me up on it i'm gonna have 60 people living in my basement (laughs) not tenable but (laughs) but yeah tell us a little about what canadians said in response 
Um, initially I had a lot of, um, negative backlash. Ooh. There was a lot, it was kind of actually eye opening. Um, you know, my editor had prepped me and she was like, you're going to have trolls. Your opinion was powerful. So there's going to be, you know, equally as passionate responses to what you said. Um, wow. but it was still a bit of an eye opener. I had, you know, it was crazy because a lot of the people were, weren't, um, asserting their opinion about my own opinion, my opinions in the article, they were commenting on me as a person, my intelligence, um, you know, yeah, various things like that. It was just so reflective of American Trump supporters. I feel like, because it's so much more today than just like your political party. It's you're stupid. You're dumb. You have no idea what you're doing. You're ruining this country. Like, you know, it's so many more things that people will pull out to say. Um, but, but then, you know, amazingly the positive outpouring of support has so far surpassed anything negative that I received. It's amazing. I mean, somebody offered me their tickets to see the Maple Leafs. They're like, well, me and my wife will take you or I can give you our tickets. They're close to the ice. Those are hard to get. Do not turn that down. I can't get those seats. Somebody (laughs) sent me the, um, the link to the immigration application and was like, start here. Somebody was like, come to Kingston. Somebody was like, Ottawa. I was like, this is just amazing and crazy. And it, it really hasn't stopped. You know, I get something, you know, once or twice a day, I've had people reaching out to me on behalf of their elderly parents, um, who don't have social media and we're still, um, you know, emblazoned to say something and try to get to me. Um, it's been, it's been amazing, you know, amazing. That's incredible. So, yeah. but the first negative response was that from Canadian jerks or was it from America? Um, <laughs> yes, that, that was, that was, those were mixed um, wow. Canadians. And there was, there was definitely um, a couple of Americans mixed in there, but yeah. the majority were, yeah, Canadians. Yeah. I did have two separate like running conversations in the comments of these two guys like battling each other, which was interesting at times entertaining, but it was, it was quite a lot. It was, it was interesting. And, you know, it was an amazing opportunity. It was just everything about it was just amazing. I mean, the Toronto star, what? It's amazing. I guess uh, newspaper, had you ever heard of it before? Oh, um, yes. Dave, hello. What? Yes. Well, I don't know. How would you know about the Toronto Star? Yes. No, I, well, I'm a writer. I'm a writer, first of all. So I would say like teaching is my secret identity and writing's my superpower. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So when Evelyn reached out to me, I was ecstatic. It was amazing. I was like, yes, I'll do this. I, you know, had early on majored in journalism, but my teacher told me I wrote too flowery. So I changed to creative writing and had kind of nixed journalism. And so this was amazing. And, you know, uh, it was just crazy. It was a once and not, hopefully not once in a lifetime, but the way it occurred, you know, over social media, um, just so fortuitous. 
Oh, I think I, I hope and expect it's a launch pad for you, but I'm just looking back at your writing. This is not flowery, flowery writing. Thank you. <laughs> this is, I mean, I, well, it did go I'm through an, an edit. It did go through an edit, but, <laughs> and I'm not, you know. I'm not dissing flowery writing in its place. It's, it can be gorgeous, but you are, you speak. So there's such a punch in, in this piece. And of course it was edited, but it's your voice. Your voice comes through loud and clear and very, very powerful. You start, let's talk in plain terms that's not flowery (laughs) the united states of america is where brown dreams go to die i mean you had me it's that what an amazing opening and 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 i mean my heart goes out to you for the sentiment it's 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 horrible thank you um you know i had people specifically like picking apart um different parts of the article and that was one of them um a lot of people wanted to you know reference oh this is where brown dreams go to die i could have sworn you all just had a black president and i would reply and be like well actually he's mixed race but it's funny how anybody who wants that argument conveniently forgets that Mm -hmm. first of all and second of all I am an African-American woman and I was speaking for African-Americans, but not just for African-Americans. I was speaking for any minority in the United States, any minority in the United States, Latinx, Asians, Middle Easterns, anyone who, anyone who it applies to all of the above, this is speaking for. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. And I mean, I really do feel that way. I mean, anyone it speaks to, it's speaking for, I, I'm not Brown, but it resonated deeply with me. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Now we also always talk about, it's not just the president, it's, it's up and down the ballot as well. And we are recording this today one week before the election. So it'll be fascinating to hear this in two weeks. <laughs> yes. And see what's changed or what hasn't. Um, so my, my, my two-part question is, have you voted already? And then other than just voting for president, take us through the, the Virginia ballot and what other options did you have? Um, so I have not voted yet. Um, we can vote early. I do actually have a voting... Um, area right near my house. So just me, I've been a little bit lazy about it. And, um, this area, I have a couple of neighbors who are, um, Trump supporters. And I guess the idea of even seeing them at the polls or anyone, I'm just, you know, it's that feeling once again of going there. I felt that way. The first, the first time I went, it was amazing. Like, you know, it was, it was scary. Four years ago, you mean? Yes. Seeing people and just knowing, you know, watching the news and seeing how many people who previously weren't voting were coming out to vote. I Mm -hmm. just didn't know what to expect. Mm. And Virginia is quite purple, right? You've got you've got both forces there. Yes. Um, Yes. So it's and, you know, in recent weeks, it seems like the signs have flown up in yards and it's like this parade of political parties and who's on whose side. And it's just, it's so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but on our ballot, um, we have democratic governor, Mark Warner, who I definitely, you know, support him and he's been around for a while in our communities. And, you know, I've definitely, um, remember his name. He, if I'm not mistaken, brought president Obama to our, um, church when I was younger. And that was amazing because he was just a Senator at the time, Obama. And, you know, I was little, I was probably, I had to be like 
five, six or seven, because he got elected when I was eight or nine for mm-hmm. the first time. And mm-hmm. so that was amazing. Um, so he's been around a long time. Um, he has a lot of, he's doing a lot of good things for us and we like him a lot. We also have on, um, our ballot, you know, which was really interesting. A lot of my friends who voted early didn't know about this, the amendment one that's also on the ballot. Um, that's basically talking about, um, representation and things. And if we want to go ahead and keep our power in those things. So that was really interesting. Um, you know, Virginia is, as a child, they take you to Jamestown and slave plantations and they take you down to Richmond to see Jefferson Davis's house. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, growing up here, it's not difficult to see what the majority is and see how people feel, mm-hmm. um, which is part of my, you know, trepidation. When I was younger, I didn't really see it. Um, I lived in a predominantly um, Caucasian area. Um, you know, a lot of my friends were Caucasian. I never had problems or anything like that. As I grew, that definitely changed. I started to feel, um, different, (laughs) different. I started to feel like I was looked at as different or Mm -hmm. viewed as differently, which was super difficult, especially reconciling that with, you know, my childhood and just the aimless nature that was my mind at that time. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing yeah. how, I mean, and you're a school teacher. It's, and as you watch people grow up over the years, you, you can teach them something, but do they truly understand it? And until they have lived a couple more years? Um, no, I didn't truly understand until I had a lot of college courses, um, that were, basically analyzing underrepresented voices. And I truly, truly understood for the first time how, how, how deeply steeped, um, the ideology is Mm. of, you know, of the Caucasian white majority maintaining power at all costs. So, you know, that, Uh. that, that waters down to me teaching my kids about Jamestown and the Native Americans, and every single time I see them referred to as Virginia Indians, I cringe oh, yeah. because this is the curriculum. This is what they're tested on. And, you know, it, you wouldn't call a Native American in 2020 an Indian. Um, so it's it's just so much, you know, I try to I try to I try to give them as much reality as I can. But, you know, they're they're little still. And I had the extreme privilege of being naive at their age. And although I want them to know everything and I want them to be able and readily prepared to meet this world full on, they're still children and they deserve to be children, especially when this is how adulthood feels and looks. Well, it, it strikes it's just, wait, me. Wait, it says Virginia oh, Indians okay. in your curriculum. Oh, okay. Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. Really? And I'm like, Yes. I hope I don't get any spears from my, um, (laughs) my bosses, but yes. Well, a lot of the textbooks come out of Texas. And you know, um, that's also true. And me and my friends were kind of researching this earlier when we found out about the phenomenon, but as kids, we never thought about that. The history books that we have here, the next state over are are learning different things. So here there's much more emphasis on the South the civil war than let's say anyone in California would have. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of Virginia history and lucky for us, Virginians, 
everything started here. <laughs> you know, everything started here. Um, <laughs> the colonies, slavery, the Civil War, it all started here. So, um, you know, it's it's just really interesting. And mm. I don't, you know, it pains my family, but I have no um, permanent plans to stay in Virginia or to roost here. So mm-hmm. um, that's definitely part of part of it. I would love to live in a more diverse area. Um, you know, it's, that would be amazing to me and that will be super important for me to grow a family in an area full of diversity because that's what I would want to foster in the next generation. Right. 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 Wow. Sorry, Rachel, what were you asking there? I, I just... <laughs> I'm trying to recapture the thought. <laughs> I think, no, but I think what struck me as you were speaking was that um, your perspective as, as a young woman of 23 is really different from, say, your parents, because you said you were seven or eight when Obama was elected. Yes. So having a black man in, you know, being the most powerful person in the world Mm-hmm. It's a very different view on what politics in the world are than what your parents would have seen. So yes. it must be all the more, I mean, I said something like this earlier, but I feel like it must be all the more outrageous for you that Trump is in power. And all of a sudden you see that the, the power has always been in the hands of the white people. So I can see why that gives you even, you know, all the more, um, all the more reason to speak up. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me, um, I guess a few years ago, I might've been embarrassed to say that this reality kind of snuck up on me. Um, I just didn't have the experience. I, you know, had been, there have been racial slurs thrown at me. You know, there's specific instances. I remember like playing catch with my dad outside of our house and this red pickup truck, um, drives by and they scream, you know, a racial slur at us out of the window. Mm-hmm. But besides that one <laughs> rather traumatic event, um, the, I guess the true divisive nature of America and the seedy underbelly, it kind of snuck up on me. And now my, I'm like, my eyes are frozen wide, like wide open, wide open. And I can't, I can't unsee anything. And I think that brings a certain level of anxiety to certain situations, just being in, just being in public, just looking Mm -hmm. around. I just, I just wonder, I can't help. I can't help it. I just wonder about people. And I feel like it's really hard not to, you know, and sorry. No, no, that's okay. Finish, finish your thought. I was just going to say something that I've been pushing on my students is, you know, Michelle Obama's great quote, when they go low, we go high. And I, it's really hard to maintain that, that in this, especially when talking about politics, but I'm, I'm just, you know, trying my best. It's, it is difficult. Um, I don't, I'm not the type of person that wants to like have, um, preconceived notions on anyone. It's just really, it's really difficult to see, you know, because it's not just lines drawn in the sand. It's a man-made canal between the two sides and there's treacherous waters between that nobody really is interested in crossing. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a vivid image, but it, it's actually, yes, a, there's your writings. We're coming yeah, back again. Absolutely. <laughs> but so that does segue nicely into the next thing I was going to ask. So let's say we win as we are all working so hard to do 
and that yes. Biden and Harris are elected next week. And <laughs> let's just assume things will go smoothly. Now that this seedy underbelly is so out in the open, your eyes are frozen open. Everyone sees it now. Mm. How do we how do we reeducate and redirect and and con- how do we make that go away? I don't think, unfortunately, it's ever going to fully go away because people will always find things to divide. We'll always find things to divide ourselves. Um, I just think that we have to be vigilant. We have to be honest and we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional with the things that we do every single day, every single day. Um, the, how we speak to one another, um, you know, it's, it's just about vigilance and, you know, just being an, in intentional and doing the things that we say we're going to do. It doesn't just stop with um, Biden and Harris being elected. There's much more work to be done. And, um, you know, education is one super, super important thing because I don't think people my age take enough time to educate themselves on what actually is going on or even how that is going to impact them. You know, they see president Trump saying all these crazy things and they're like, Oh, whatever to Trump. But do you really know his policies and the things that he wants to push down or really, because I think he's something of a puppet, the, the policies, the people behind him want to push down mm-hmm. and the ways in which they want to change the reality that we all live with. I don't think enough people think about that. So in the wake of a landslide win, um, with Biden and Harris, um, it doesn't stop now. The activism doesn't, doesn't stop it. It begins anew. It's, right. it's all over again and we have to keep going. Um, you know, because hopefully continuing to educate will continue to provide the Democratic Party with more voters and will continue to grow in numbers and, and ideology and just, you know, just take off. We need we need the the launching pad. We we do need that um, because the other side is determined to to squash us. <laughs> Well, and it's it's when you think about the history of the United States and and the history of the globe, like societies all around the world have not figured out how to live in peace and harmony, and they are yes. way older than what we are. Yes, um, you know that that definitely does. I definitely included that also in my article. You know, I was saying that I know there will always still be challenges, but we as a people who on the right side of history have to make a commitment to, you know, continue to dig ourselves out of the trenches, not to just stop when there's a small reprieve, but to continue. Um, We're going to continue to come from behind. We'll probably continue to be the underdogs and we're just going to have to, like I said, just persevere, Mm -hmm. really persevere and Mm -hmm. be resilient. Yeah. It's basically what Stacey Abrams says, right? You don't solve it in one election cycle. Yeah. Could be in it for the long game. Which is amazing because it's it's amazing how quickly one election cycle has completely dismantled the United States. Absolutely. In fact, um 
when David was asking you earlier mm-hmm. if you think this is the most important election of your lifetime, it reminded me of, we did an interview a few weeks ago with four ladies in their 90s who are all living in Canada, all voting in this election. And wow. I, I know, it, it, I recommend it to you and to anyone else <laughs> listening. These ladies are phenomenal. Um, but when I, I was back in touch with them to um, let them know the episode had been posted and they should listen to it and share it with their families, um, every one of them, had been thinking about our conversation, you know, and things came to them that they wished they'd said. And one of them said to me, you know, I do think it's the most important election of our lifetime since the first one, she said, because if we don't get this one right, we're not going to have a democracy. And it took me a minute to realize when she said the first one, she met George Washington. (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. Yeah. It's the most important election since George Washington. (laughs) I just thought that was, you know, I wish she thought of it when we talked to her, but I was so glad she said it to me afterward. (laughs) Amazing and true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, what are your thoughts on Kamala Harris? When did you first notice her? Um, I first noticed her, you know, back when she was running for president. Um, I, I was definitely intrigued by her. Um, I'll admit. I felt she had a certain air about her Mm -hmm. um, that I think that I maybe didn't jive with immediately. However, I think that since teaming up with Biden, her energy has been the, like the most integral part of his campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she's, and you know, she's really securing the female vote for us as well as the African American vote. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to have a woman in the vice president seat. Um, that would be amazing as far as in the world of women and what we continue, what we need to be able to continue um, to fight our own fights, you know, apart from race. Well, she does yeah. seem to be perfectly positioned to um, be there for a while. She could be in the white house for 12 years. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I, I can only hope I can only hope I can cross every finger, every toe and just, (laughs) you know, hope that, hope that we prevail and we're able to do the work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it's already, I don't want to say it's looking irreparable already. Um, but it's getting there. So, um, you know, like I said, four more years, it's just, it's just too dangerous to gamble. It's too, it's too important to play around with. It's, we just, we need, we, we need this. We need this win. Um, the world needs this win, honestly. And I don't think Republicans know it, but they, we, we need this one for them too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, we need this I for agree everyone. with you hundred percent on that one. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to say that we haven't touched on? Um, I did have a quote by Brene Brown I wanted to bring up. And, you know, it's just that there's strength and vulnerability. Um, A lot of people had a lot to say about my article as far as me victimizing myself. And, you know, one woman went as far to say that she only believes in a certain type of black person. Well, my response (laughs) to that is... I exist, whether you believe in me or not, we exist, we're here, this is reality, and just because it's not your reality doesn't mean that it's not a very real and tangible one. Of course, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't believe she thinks there's only one kind of black person. Where is she? Yes, and she said they're normally Republican, <laughs> have a strong faith in 
quote the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> sure. um, I was like, okay. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. It's it's funny how I, I can't believe it, and yet I can believe it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, disappointed, but not surprised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sums it up. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Well, Tyra Garrett, you have blown me away. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for joining us today. Thank you. You're, you're so welcome. I, I'm so happy to be here. And um, when you come up to see the Maple Leafs, get in yes, touch. I know, right? <laughs> I will. Kind of I might be there sooner than you think. That'd My spare awesome. room's better than her basement if you need a place. <laughs> we'll have dueling guest accommodations. <laughs> <laughs> but at the very least, a distance dinner somehow. But yeah, so. yeah. Yes. I'm Rachel Oyster with David Schellenberg in Ottawa, Canada. Thank you for listening to Democrats Abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe.